Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and uh, we're going to talk again about the Kingdom of God. And uh, there's so many topics that have come up this week, <laughs> I don't hardly know where to begin. Uh, the problems that we face today are really not any different than the problems that mankind has faced from the beginning. The story of Cain and Abel. It's, uh, you know, I don't know if there was an actual real guy named Abel. He probably didn't pronounce that name, Abel or Cain. But the, these stories, I assume that there was. I assume that there was someone we we know as Adam and Eve. And I believe that God formed them and breathed life into them. Whether there are other people around or not, it's not really clear in the Bible. Because it says that Adam and Eve were formed from the Adama. And what was the Adama? Well, we translate it as clay. But uh, the the reality is mankind was referred to as Adama. And uh, the point is, is uh, I also remember when Jesus comes out of the tomb and he goes to his apostles, he breathes on them too. And says, receive the Holy Spirit. So, is that story really about God sitting by a stream molding uh, somebody's image out of uh, clay that he scooped up from the dirt? And uh, then, you know, uh, breathing life into that dirt? That's That's the way we interpret the story with our imagination. We draw pictures with words because words are symbols of ideas. But, uh, but, you know, God's command to Adam and Eve was to replenish the earth. Replenish the earth? I mean, what was, that's replenished. And the word actually is very clearly or, or fairly clearly replenish. As if there had been a lot of people there on the earth. And they were wiped out. And they had to now replenish it. You know, it's kind of like the joke. Actually, I used to tell this joke all the time. I made it up myself, but then I found out other guys made it up and got paid for making it up. When people ask if I was retired, I said, yeah, I was tired yesterday and I'm retired today. <laughs> so, <laughs> And uh I thought of that last night when I got in from the mountains. uh had quite a walk about... Uh, I must have covered 15 miles <laughs> in rocky terrain um, trying to herd cattle back from the high uh, desert uh, that got out a gate that somebody left open. But uh, uh, it was a great time for contemplation. Uh, there's a myth of the Sisyphus uh, where a guy is rolling a rock up the hill and he just keeps rolling it up only to get up almost to the top and have it roll down again and uh having to do it again and and uh, it's it's a metaphorical story about our personal struggles and uh and 
with the difficulties of life and you you think well you know what's the purpose you know you roll it up and then it just rolls down again then you roll it up again and one of the things that the the uh, philosopher who's putting this down thousands of years ago is that uh, the question is 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 there a smile on Sisyphus's face is the struggle the goal and I, I often say that the destination is the journey. Life is in the moment. What are we saying when we have these little quaint platitudes and and uh, sayings? Uh, is that uh, you, if you're going to be happy, you have to be happy under any conditions. I, I remember the movie Jeremiah Johnson and and uh this guy was being attacked and plagued by people trying to kill him and chase him and murder him and uh he was just struggling to survive in a cold icy camp and a guy comes riding up on him and says pilgrim i hear you had a little trouble and he looks up you can see he's exhausted and he says trouble what trouble he he just accepted the difficulties of life with life is a part of living the struggle is a part of life itself if there is no struggle there is no life and so was there an event like the flood that devastated and wiped out whole species well the record shows that there were massive extinctions probably more than once if you look at the fossil records in 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 the ground, if you look geologically at the earth, uh, you you know when you do a cut away, when you look at everything that happened up at Mount St. Helens, a recent volcanic eruption, a geologist forty years ago would have looked at the striations in these canyons, and they would say, "Oh, this took place over." millions of years the this layering and turning to stone and you know these these ripples in the uh, cutaway but the reality is we know that the that whole side and the, and the cutaway and the canyon and everything that was created during that volcanic eruption happened within hours not centuries so, uh, when we look geologically at the earth, we know that there are catastrophic events that happen every so often, which could bring about great die-offs of populations. I mean, there was just an earthquake in Taiwan, and somebody was telling me that, you know, like four-story buildings sunk into the ground. And uh, I, you, there's actually video of that in the... In earthquakes that took place in Japan, where you, one minute, you see a building standing, and the next minute, it literally sinks into the ground because of liquefaction. Uh, when uh, the settlement that eventually populated Ur came there, their historical record says they dug the city out of layers and layers of mud. It was submerged in layers and layers of mud. They found this city. Well, all the inhabitants had been killed, but the city had been just flooded with debris so that it literally buried the city. 
So there are cataclysmic events that happen every so often. And there are great die-outs uh, of, you know, wildlife and people and what have you. Changes take place. So where am I going with this? Uh, was Adam and Eve actually replenishing the earth? Was the Holy Spirit of God, this divine spirit, this divine intelligence, breathed into the selective people that were to uh, replenish the earth, guide the earth? And uh, it was the apostles. Why did Jesus, first thing out of his mouth, is he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Yet, it was 50 days later they received the baptism of fire, which was supposed to be the Holy Spirit, and came out speaking in tongues and, and creating, you know, uh, performing miracles and preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God was at hand, baptizing thousands and thousands of people into this different form of government. And all those people were now opting out by that baptism. They were cast out of the welfare system that had been set up by the Herod and the Hasmoneans before him. And, you know, even though Herod really wasn't a Hasmonean, he was married to a Hasmonean. <laughs> so, so Hasmoneans were still around. I mean, who, who are the Hasmoneans? And that's, that's a subject. We have a study call every Tuesday night. You can come on that study call. It's live. You can ask questions. Uh, we're going through the Free Church Report. What the Free Church Report is doing is, is showing you what the early church was actually doing in modern terms. We write about the early church and what it was doing. The truth is the early church was, was doing exactly what the Levites were doing because they were the church in the wilderness. Thousands of years before, when Moses called out those who would stand with the Lord. Now, people think that they are Christians because they say they accepted Jesus, but Jesus says it's not what you say, but what you do. But modern Christendom says, no, it's what you say. And they're always, people are always pressuring you to, well, did they actually say they accept Jesus because they think that they're saved by what they say. But Jesus says, not by what you say. James says, you know, I have people telling me, oh, no, uh, Jesus, what Jesus was saying was before the crucifixion, so it doesn't apply. I mean, my gosh, how rational can you get? Or irrational, I should say. You're rationalizing falsehoods in your own mind. It's just not true. <laughs> it's not what you say. It's what you do. And James wrote that it's not what you say, but what you do. That you know that they are believers, not because they say they are believers, but because of what they do. And what was the early church doing? They were taking care of one another in faith, hope, and charity. That was pushing a boulder up a hill. Because <laughs> you help everybody today, and guess what? You have another group you have to help tomorrow. <laughs> it's, a, it's a steady 
a little engine that could job. You just have to keep persevering. It's like irrigating on the desert. You don't irrigate until it rains. You irrigate because it ain't gonna rain. <laughs> so you're, you're constantly moving water around. You know, I, I moved water over to another area that hasn't gotten wet for quite a while. And the ditches back up the water so it gets wet in a wide area. And, uh, what happens is the, wherever the water flows the most, it begins to wear away that ditch and begins to create a trough. And then now the water becomes central and starts flowing down. So you have to go and build up those dikes so that water keeps spreading out and flows out here and flows out there. And if you keep at it, you will eventually get a nice, you'll let the water out and it'll flow across the desert in a nice even amount and everything will get watered equally. But if you neglect it, the water starts going to the low channel. And that's what's happened in the world today. Because of the welfare system you have that has no moral criteria and is operated by men who exercise authority one over the other and force the contributions of the people instead of what Christ intended, what God intended, what Moses intended, was the responsibility of governance was in the hands of every individual. I mean, how many people go to a church where there's like 10% of the people do all the work and everybody else just comes there to sit in the pews? Well, in Christianity, nobody just sits in the pew. Everybody is involved. Because if you're not involved, you don't matter. <laughs> Somebody was just quoting the, the line from a movie. I, I can't even remember what the name of the movie is, but he, Penn it was the actor, Sean Penn. And he kept saying, if you don't vote, you don't matter. Well, in the kingdom of God, there is no voting for a leader who will rule over you. That's a rejection of God. But in the kingdom of God, there is a vote every day. It's called a votive offering. It's you casting your bread upon the waters to take care of the needy of your society in hope that if you ever come to the point of being in need, somebody will help you. That That is the spirit that goes in the kingdom of God. Well, if you don't votive offering... <laughs> You don't matter. If you don't join together, if you don't sit down in the tens, fifties, and hundreds as Christ commanded, you don't matter. Now, we might help you out anyway, but we will not continue with you forever. We've helped people pay their power bill, pay their rent, help them with medical bills. But if they don't join a congregation and a year passes and a two years passes and they're not coming a part of a congregation as Christ commanded, then why should we continue with them when they won't even sit down with us? Jesus would not pass out the loaves and fishes until the people sat down in Companies upon companies, which is usually ten people, and or ten men and their families, in ranks of fifty and a hundred. That's what the Bible says. It was after 
the apostles made them sit down in these companies upon companies in ranks of 50 and ranks of 100, 5,000 people. Then Jesus started passing out the loaves and fishes. But people today, they don't understand that because their preacher doesn't want to tell them about the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. He doesn't want to tell them about that because he wants them all in his little congregation. He wants them sitting in the pews and dropping in the plate so that they take care of him. But that isn't the way it worked. That isn't the way it was. And the, the reason the minister was ministering was because he wanted to take care of people, not himself. You know, that was the thing. You know, if you, you know, we have this view of the Old Testament. We were talking about that with Adam and Eve and, uh, Cain and Abel. What was really going on? What, if, if they were made from the Adama, then why was, what was the conflict between Cain and Abel? Cain plowed the Adama. That's where you take a plow and you run it down the Adama and you plant all your crops in a row. You line them up. You turn that soil over and he plowed the Adama. That's what he's plowing, not just dirt, but Adama. But Abel was a shepherd. Well, a shepherd doesn't force his sheep to get in a line. I've been out with sheep on the desert and they were in a straight line all the way across the desert, shoulder to shoulder. 144 sheep right out in a straight line. It might not have been exactly 144, but it's close to that. And uh, they were shoulder to shoulder to shoulder to shoulder to shoulder to shoulder to shoulder. All the way across. Well, I couldn't make them do that if, you know, with a hundred sheepdogs. They chose to do that. And they they came together on their own. So, what what the rock that people have been wanting me to push uphill is that I have to herd the people like, but the people are like cats. They're scattered all over the place because they aren't following the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will line you up where you need to be. It will help you sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. You will want to come together to help one another. I, I introduced a question to a group on Facebook. I guess there's a couple thousand people in this this group on Facebook. And uh, the question was really pretty simple. And uh, it got a lot of response. I said, If Title 42 of the United States Codes, Section 666, Subsection 13, requires the recording of a Social Security number for any applicant for a professional license a driver's license, an occupational license, a recreational license, a marriage license, etc., to be recorded on the application. Then I asked, what makes you think the Social Security number is not the mark of the beast? Now, I had all kinds of responses to that. And some people said that well, Social Security number is not worldwide. Well, the reality is, is you go to every country. You go to go to little islands in the the 
Mediterranean or the uh, in the Caribbean. And uh, let's see, what is it? Santa Domingo. They call it a Sechula. That's it's a little card with a number on it, and you have that card. And you, you, if you want to get a job, you got to show that card or give that number. And there's, they, some estimate that there's about 20% of the people on that tropical island that don't have a Sessula. They can get a job and they will be paid at that job, but they will not receive much pay. They will be paid at a much lower rate. But when they're paid, Nothing will be taken out of their pay. So most of the people that have a Sessula don't go out and work as an employee. They they work on land up in the hills. Because the land up in the hills, uh, you know, they have a funny way of sectioning off land and owning land and passing title down that comes from the history of that island. But they, they it's tropical. They can grow crops. They can grow gardens, they can grow fruit trees, and it rains, and they survive up there in the mountains. Occasionally, and they will sell fruits and vegetables in the market for cash. And uh, they can't get into every market, but they can, they get by. So about 20% don't have a Sessula. And you can go to Romania, and there are people who won't get the number that they have in Romania. And uh, you can go and, but you, I've actually seen guys in the bush in S- South America come out wearing nothing but a loincloth, and they're stopped by um, guards, and they pull out of their loincloth their card with their number. So it is worldwide. Every country has this numbered system where they number the people, and if you're numbered. You will pay income tax. Uh, they'll call it different things. Uh, national tax, national insurance, whatever. And uh, you will pay that out of every hour you work. And every dollar you make, a portion will go to the government. That's what it was going on in Egypt. 20% of your labor belonged to the pharaoh. But the pharaoh provided you with welfare. You know, free bread. They did the same thing in Rome. You would have a tessera, little clay tessera, and it would be baked, and it had numbers carved on it or letters carved on it. And you could get benefits. You could get into the games. You could you could get free bread, free wine, free cheese on a regular basis because you were a member. That was called a karagma. <laughs> that's what they. That's what we translate into mark. <laughs> Of the beast. So, that's where you're at today. So, we'll talk more about some of these things when we come back. So, welcome back. I was just responding to some of the things. I had another thing that uh, somebody brought up something else. They were talking about uh, taxation is theft. You know, people like to say taxation is theft. And we have a 
web page up on taxation. We actually don't say taxation is theft. Because <laughs> now, taxation is the result of covetousness. I will agree to that. Uh, but if it, if somebody's stealing from you, that's not taxation. Uh, taxation is tribute. That's what tribute is. And the Bible tells you that taxation is, you know, they, they talk about tribute and, and it's, uh, it's referred to as taxes. Tribute, you know, and we have articles up to show you what tribute was and we show you how that word is used in the Bible. And the Bible is very clear that the slothful should be under tribute. Well, the slothful in what? And so, you know, I put up, uh, a number of, uh, uh, quotes, uh, explaining, uh, that, how taxation works. I, I, I've got a number of web pages up showing how taxation, and it is the result of an agreement. And I just was telling you, if you don't get a sessula in Santa Domingo and you get a job, they won't take any money out of your wages. Uh, because of the fact you don't have a session and they have no way of attributing that money to your account with the government. But there's so many people in that country that don't have a session of that number that, um, that you can't get a job. Now you can't get a job everywhere because some guys won't mess with you. But other guys, you, a lot of times there's some big agricultural farms up in, in that area, and they will hire laborers. They will hire laborers from Haiti who don't have a Santo Domingo Sechela. Uh, they will, because uh, they'll, they'll come across the mountains and they'll hire them, and they work really hard, and they work them really hard, and uh, they pay them really low, and they don't take any money out of their pay. And you actually can do that in America. That There are guys that will work for cash on the side of the road. And if you don't have an employer-employee relationship with them, you're just day laborers. You can pay day laborers, um, and you can still deduct that pay. Uh, but you have to take an accounting of it. But they're not employees. But uh, there's there's restrictions on that even in America, and those restrictions are changing. So I'm not sure what the law is exactly today. So, um, but that uh, you know, because they're they're changing laws all the time. Which I I share. We have a web page up, section six six six, which is talking about that title forty two, section six six six, and uh, we we show in that uh, that page. Um, actually, I'll pull it up here. Um, uh, you know, where that, when you, the title code, see, people don't even know how all this works. They, they say, oh, U.S. codes, that's the law. Well, how did it, how did the U.S. codes get written? Did somebody write up the U.S. code and somebody, uh, voted on it and passed it into law? Your lawmakers, your congressmen, your senators? No, it doesn't work that way. They write up a bill. And in that bill, they will have hundreds, sometimes thousands of clauses in a single bill that just goes on and on and on and on and on. And the original Insurance Portability Act of 1996, which is public law uh, 104-191, uh, 1996, I happened to be reading every single law passed in that year. <laughs> in 
and even some of the laws that were up to be passed, because they, they, you have to pass them in the Senate and the Congress. And uh, I learned a lot how they write these bills. And there's a code within a code. And certain numbers show up covering certain types of uh, changes. And uh, now they, they've changed a lot of that, but some of it is still there in the underlying pendings. But they, they shifted a lot of things around. But what happens is they pass this bill, and then somebody has to take that bill and see what codes change because of that bill. And so some bureaucrat somewhere decided to put the changes from sections 511, 512, and 513 in the Insurance Portability Act of 1996, change it, and they entered those changes in section 666, uh, section 13, which is your unlucky number. <laughs> and that says that you got to have a Social Security number for almost any application, from marriage licenses to driver's licenses to passports to to professional licenses, you got to put that number down. And and it it falls under a heading because it has to do with you know family responsibility. But the reality is, you know, and actually I just discovered this last night. Uh, I had the, there were a number of other sister bills that were passed <laughs> at this same time. And uh, there was another one that was passed, uh, well, the, the Welfare Reform Act of uh, uh, 1996. But then there was a Balanced Budget Act in 1997. And these are huge, huge, giant bills that they're passing and changing things. But there was also the Personal Responsibility and Work Opportunity Reconciliation Act of 1996. And that had the same provisions in it that you, that's 104-193, public law, 104-193. They had the same provisions in that in section 317, another key number. In, uh, uh, it fell under collections and use of social security numbers for use in child support enforcement, which was similar to what you had in the other. But this is an additional bill. This is 193. The other one was 191. And so, who's writing all these things? Congressmen and senators aren't writing them. There, there are teams of lawyers who are making these things up. Well, who's giving them their assignment of making these gigantic uh, bills? And what else is in those bills? I mean, that was in Section 317. What was in Section 202? Well, that was denial of Social Security insurance benefits for fugitives, felons, and probation and pro, uh, parole violators. So if you, if you are out on probation and you skip probation, you can't go and apply for Social Security because they have put in place that it goes down a big long list of things that they're putting in place to track you. To make sure you don't get those benefits. Now they're not very good at it, but they're, it, what's happening is they're tracking every parent, they're tracking every, uh, uh, fugitive, felon, probation violator, parolee, and of course there's a lot of people that have, uh, are, are on parole and parole terms. But they are creating a system that 
will use every government agency across the face of the United States to track you. Now, what happened if they were to go to food rationing? What happened if we had some of these big earthquakes like they had in Taiwan in the Midwest? And they devastated the harbors along the rivers and the river flowed backwards like it did back in 1811 and 1814. Or you had the subduction quakes here on the West Coast, which would knock out all your harbors. Most of your gas and petroleum would no longer flow inland to the farmers and ranchers and and businesses. Power outages everywhere. Coronal mass ejection could knock out power everywhere. Doomsday, doomsday, doomsday. All these things are possible. They all happen from time to time in the universe. So, what what happens then? Well, now the government starts putting, instead of armed guards in the airport, uh, which were doing absolutely no good whatsoever, and TSA in the airport, which were really doing very little or any good whatsoever, but everybody got used to it. Now you're going to have armed guards in front of Safeway. <laughs> And, uh, you know, uh, we'll just be used to it. Wow, that's just like in the airport, you know. <laughs> but guess what? You can't have your ration stamps unless you got the number. It's all going to be tied to the number. Somebody was trying to say, that was another argument that just came up this morning. I haven't even had a chance to read it. Uh, that, oh, the Social Security number can't be the mark of the beast because uh, the mark of the beast is the U.S. dollar. Which is accepted everywhere. Now, somebody has created this whole uh, doctrine that the U.S. dollar is the mark of the beast. And I'm not going to say that it isn't involved somehow in, in the pervasiveness of the mark of the beast. I mean, that was one of the problems in Rome. That's another, the other argument that came up that there's only about three. One is they said it wasn't universal. Of course, it is universal. Because all these social security systems in all these countries are connected by treaties. See, if you have your national insurance number, actually, national insurance number is England, or they call it social insurance number in Canada. Uh, I think it's in Canada, uh, which is, the abbreviation is S-I-N, which I always think is funny, SIN. Um, the, and you come to America and you're living in America, can you collect Social Security if you earn Social Security by working so many quarters in America and you also work so many quarters in Canada? Can you collect both checks <laughs> and move to Mexico and collect both checks and live like a king because you're getting two Social Security checks, one from Canada and one from the United States? Well, actually, they try to, they're trying to close that loop up. And I think they have. I, I just haven't followed it up since 1996. But you can see them making sure that you're not double dipping, even though you earned it in Canada and you earned it in the United States. And they're different numbers. So you should get both, shouldn't you? No, they don't want you getting both. And so these things are all connected. And actually, a lot of them, you can you can actually find where they mention the Queen of England in reference to Social Security insurance. <laughs> In the United States. So, uh, but anyway, I don't want to get too much into conspiracy theory because people, they can barely grasp the basic idea that the U.S. codes are written down by bureaucrats who go and reference. And if you actually look them up, you know, look up the different U.S. codes, uh, they will, at the bottom, they will have a list of 
bills that were passed by Congress that were used as a reference to write these codes. But the codes were not written by lawmakers. They were written by bureaucrats who interpreted what the lawmakers passed, which many of the lawmakers passed, without even reading. <laughs> they don't... They, they even... Pelosi has even said, you have to vote on it, you have to pass it, if you want to read it. <laughs> I mean, this is insane. This is crazy. And you guys are all going to work every day and you're struggling. And so somebody comes up and just says, taxation is theft. And you go, yeah, taxation is theft. <laughs> Actually, you talked to a guy once who had a t-shirt on that said, you can't fire me. Slaves got to be sold. And, and I pointed out, you know, how true that really is. <laughs> and then he says, I'm not a slave. I says, well, you're wearing a t-shirt that says, uh, Slaves got to be sold. You can't fire me. But the reality is you get fired. Now you go and get a job with another federal employer. <laughs> or another person with a federal employer identification number. You know, because, and this is the example I give, that when you're flipping burgers for McDonald's, uh, probably you won't have to pay much income tax, but you'll pay Social Security out of that. But, uh, you know, the first 20 burgers of a hundred that you flip are going to the government. The value of flipping those, that labor is going to the government. Now, people say, well, I don't pay income tax because I make so little, but you pay seven and a quarter percent social security tax out of your wages. That goes out of your wages. But, uh, as a matter of fact, you, that's another thing that showed up in one of these bills that low income credit, you're not going to get that. <laughs> If you're in touch with the government uh, concerning your social security number, they're tying that together too. What what it is, the government is enforcing responsibility upon you in that big long name working responsible act, you know. And because those are benefactors who exercise authority. They don't love you. They just exercise authority. FDR didn't create the Social Security Act because he loved people. He did it because it got government more power. It got government was now able to borrow money against you, your labor. Your labor was now an asset of the U.S. government. See, when the Federal Reserve, I mean, so that takes it back to what this uh, uh, Jonathan Ramsey was saying about, I think it was Jonathan. No, no, it wasn't Jonathan Ramsey. It was Joe, Joe Nathan, I guess, or whatever it is, although I don't know if that's a guy or not. But anyway, um, was saying that the U.S. dollar is the mark of the beast. And I haven't read all of what they said, so I can't say everything. But the reality is, is the U.S. dollar and the Federal Reserve plays a role in this. Absolutely, I agree there. But where does it fit? See, that's the thing is people are putting puzzle together like a giant jigsaw puzzle. They don't put everything together. They don't put all the pieces in the right place. And they... You have to put everything has to fit. If it if it doesn't fit, it doesn't count. <laughs> so and so, you know, one guy was saying, "Oh, I've heard all this before. All caps names, and then they end up in jail. You know, all caps is a separate person, and you're collateral for debt." Well, I never said anything about all caps. Now, there's something to the all cap thing, and I've told funny stories about that because uh, the state was. 
if you applied for a uh, library card and the people at the library would type it in, your name in and everything and it, all of a sudden you know a number of years ago 20 30 years ago it became a statewide database getting a local library card it used to be they just they just pulled a card out and wrote your name on it and handed you the card and the cards are all pre-numbered and nobody had it registered your number your card uh, but they well, actually, I guess they kind of did uh, so that if you didn't return the book they could find you and uh, and uh, so it was attached to you but it wasn't in any statewide database it was just in the local library uh, but now it's all statewide so anyway when they they send this out all the names came back all caps in the program like computers couldn't handle caps and small letters they had to put them all in caps which is not the case that's not why they're doing it but i thought it was funny that i saw the librarian i was in the library and i was asking what they were doing and they said well these all these names came back from the state all caps and we're fixing that <laughs> so they were <laughs> this is a local podunk library so they they had access to correct names in the library computer and so they were going through everybody that was in the uh, uh, database and changing it back from all caps to, you know, capital letter at the beginning and small letters. And I thought, eventually some programmer is going to see that. <laughs> I actually personally know the guys who program computers for the state of Oregon for years. And uh, so I know what what's going on. But if you think... You can just write your name in cap small or as some guys do it in all small letters and suddenly that makes you free. Then you are missing huge numbers of pieces of the puzzle that do not fit. <laughs> and if it don't fit, it don't matter. <laughs> so, so all caps, not all caps, that is, that is silliness. There may be some slight truth to it in the way that they put their system together. And if you go down and you actually read these, I mean, these bills, I mean, if I've mentioned like three or four of these bills. If you had these printed out, you would have difficulty lifting them up. <laughs> That's how big they are. They are huge, giant things. And there's method in their madness. But you got to get all the pieces of the puzzle. And the truth is, you don't really need all the pieces of the puzzle. What you need is Christ. You need the breath of Christ in you. Christ was with the apostles, talking with them for years, living with them, eating with them, working with them, traveling with them. But it wasn't until his resurrection that he came in and breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. When Peter started following Christ, he didn't know Christ was the Christ, the anointed. He just thought he was a really cool guy. <laughs> he didn't know he was the Christ. The problem is a lot of you people think you know the Christ and you have not yet received the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit lists us where it will and, and he will come and show you things that you... uh don't have any right to know. He will bless you. But you have to pass that blessing on to others for Him to come back and bless you again. 
He will not strive with you forever. And so Christ was showing us a way, a very simple way. You don't have to read these giant laws and books and everything. You have to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And that's really simple. That's people coming together in a way that they can love one another, care for one another, provide for one another when they have real needs. Not not feed their sloth. Because see, tax, the reason you're under taxation is not because the government is stealing from you. It's not because the government is extorting it from you. It's because you're slothful in the ways of God. And the way of God is to take care of one another. The question that this one person was asking was, you know, I know taxation is theft, she said. Um, actually, I have to go to the page because I wasn't really on it. <laughs> so, she was saying taxation uh, was theft. I understand taxation is theft. And that accepting welfare would be considered immoral because it's not loving your neighbor. And she goes on and asks a question. My question is, if a person is truly severely disabled and unable to work, what do they do when the government system itself creates no other option but to depend upon it? Okay, now there's more to that, but let's let's stop there. What are you talking about? The government doesn't create any other option? Why don't you create another option? <laughs> That's what Christ was doing. He was appointing another option whereby you could receive loaves and fishes. <laughs> but if you wanted loaves and fishes, first he told his disciples to make them sit down in company upon company, uses the word symposium, the Greek word symposium, another piece of the puzzle. What's a symposium? I can show you Greek vases called symposia. <laughs> and it's because on the vase, they have a picture of about ten guys all the way around the vase. Because the symposia eventually in Greece became like your drinking buddies. You know, you go out for the night with your drinking buddies. But it wasn't originally that way. It was it was your group. It was your congregation. Your your those you gather with your village, as it would say in in the uh, uh Torah, as we translate it. There's actually a Hebrew word there. But it's the tens. So you had to sit down in tens and tens and tens in ranks of 50 and ranks of 100 until all 5,000 people were organized in that fashion. Then you get loaves and fishes. So why are you waiting for the government? Is it one of the guys I, I wrote, uh, Ted Wyland, uh was on one of the groups and I... I uh, I pointed out that uh, the Bible is the book for the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. And he said, no, it's not. That was, and, and I'm quoting the introduction to the Wycliffe Bible. That this is the book for the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. Well, the reality is, is that, and it may be partly his misunderstanding of what exactly that means and how we apply 
that, but we'll have to talk about how we apply government of, for, by the people next. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. So, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, what is this government of the people, for the people, and by the people? <laughs> is it the United States federal government? Or is it something else? Well, you know, the United States federal government, that's where you elect the people, elect, actually, they elect an electoral college, and then an electoral college elects the Congress and the Senate and the President and then they are the government and you're not. (laughs) That's not the government of the people for the people and by the people. That's the government that the people elect to rule over them. When the people elected to have Saul rule over them, that was called the rejection of God. The government of the people for the people and by the people that's another animal altogether. <laughs> That's not, and so it's a question of interpretation. And he probably didn't see uh, the ramification. And that's one of the things that, and a lot of people are having trouble seeing what the gospel is really all about. What is this kingdom? Jesus said, "I'm going to take the kingdom from the Pharisees who were sitting in the seat of Moses, and I'm going to appoint it to the little flock." He later on he says. I appoint you unto you a kingdom, but you're not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who exercise authority one over the other. But every Christian I know almost, except for a few, handful, small little tiny number, look to the government to take care of their parents, to take care of them, to provide social welfare, to uh, give them employment at their businesses, Whatever. They are not gathering together in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. Now, I know there, I know lots and lots of people who have not, if so, getting the social security number is a voluntary thing. And, uh, you know, they try, somebody, uh, tried to say that they were threatened with jail if they didn't get their child a social security number. And there are people who want to make that a law that you can actually be punished if you do that. But, you know, I tell you why Moses was hid in the bulrushes. Now, you don't have to believe this, but he was unregistered. (laughs) He was an unregistered baby. (laughs) And you had to see what what was the deal? How how did the burden of 20 percent taxes on what you produce, your labor, become such a burden in Egypt? Because years ago when I wrote the book Covenants of the Gods, um, when Mubarak was president of Egypt, income tax was still 20% across the board. Make a million dollars, 20%. Make $10 million, 20%. It was, that was what it has been that way since Moses in Egypt forever. Now, I don't know if they've changed it or not, but what they did back in the days of the Pharaoh was that if you had a child, 
you owed another 20% labor. <laughs> Even though he was still a child. They didn't do it straight across the board like that. But for every check, they put heavier burdens on you for having children if you were an Israelite. Because they did not want that your numbers were getting too great. And why was that? I mean, you got to remember that the uh, Israelites were immigrants to Egypt. <laughs> why, why did they bring immigrants to Egypt? Why were they willing to do that? Well, they had a low birth rate already. And it got worse. Because everybody in Egypt went under this social welfare, socialist state. And whenever you do that, uh, there's sometimes there's a spike in the number of children, especially depending on how you hand out benefits. But uh, uh, eventually, there's a reduction in the number of children, which is what happened in Europe. They weren't having enough children to populate the factories in the growing economy and to grow the economy. They needed more people. So they let in immigrants, thinking that uh, if you have a bizarre culture it don't matter well guess what <laughs> if if your culture thinks rape is okay it do matter and that's what's happening in uh, Europe uh, and of course they're in terrible denial uh, you know I just saw an ad for traveling in Sweden and uh, they talk about you know going anywhere you want the freedom to go anywhere you want in Sweden well I mean, I just had to laugh at that because I, you know, my daughter-in-law is from Sweden. I just had a house full of people from Sweden this last year <laughs> and uh, and some from Norway. There are places in Sweden that the cops don't go, <laughs> much less the tourists. Uh, you know, a white tourist is going to be guaranteed beat up if they go into some of the areas in Sweden because of the immigrants. And I'm not against immigrants. I'm against rapists and murderers. And, and there happens to be a lot of those sneaking in under the guise of being, you know, a refugee or an immigrant. And nobody's policing that because they're afraid that they're going to be called racist. Well, it doesn't have to do with race. It has to do with righteousness. You know, nationalism should not be what you're seeking. Uh, it's fine to be a nationalist and 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 work within your country and all that stuff. I have no objection to that. But your ultimate priority should be righteousness. And it is not righteous to let a rapist in a um, sorority. (laughs) Wherever a lot of girls uh, stay. You know, you don't want to put a uh, child molester in a preschool. Uh, That's just common sense, you know. So, anyway... The government of the people, for the people, and by the people requires that you tax yourself. That's called a tithe. You choose to give your votive offering to the man you think is the most charitable, uh, righteous, uh, diligent individual who's willing to take on the role of minister of the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. And so you can give to him. And, uh, but before you do that, you have to sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds of thousands. And this is, people just have difficulty putting all the pieces of the puzzle together at one time and seeing the big picture. 
So, you know, we started the network and we said you had to pick a minister. So somebody, you know, in one corner of the nation is picking a minister in another corner of the nation because he has to pick a minister and he happens to like that minister. He's, you know, he talks nice. He's, you know, uh, seems easy to get along with. And, you know, he makes him feel good when he talks to him. Well, that's a that's an ear tickler. Now, that may not be his total goal, but that's the reason you're picking him. Because he makes you feel better. He makes you feel like you can... No. First, you pick your congregation. Now, where do you... Where's your congregation? You want them nearby. So, you can actually congregate. <laughs> that's the original idea. And then, you pick a minister for, from your area... That can help all the people in your area congregate, but is also willing to sit down in ranks of 1500. In other words, that minister is going to sit down with other ministers. And this is a primary understanding of how this works. And, and then I'll take you to a quote that I, I just responded to in, um, if I haven't lost it already. <laughs> the people you congregate with Pick a minister, and you can change that minister, because every day is a new day in the kingdom. It's it, the kingdom is in the moment, so you have to, you know, be willing to shift. According, this is the flexibility of the kingdom. You're the government. Remember that you're the government of the people, and so you gather together for the people, <laughs> uh, and. And those people have to be, each one of them, every one of them, ten families in your congregation, every one of them are participants as members of the government. So they pick a minister. Now that minister is their connection point. That's like their plug-in point to the rest of the kingdom. He's not their spiritual guru. He's not their ear tickler. He's not their, you know, spiritual guide. He's not going to channel God to them and tell them what to think and what to believe. Now, he may have a knowledge of the Bible, but you can all look up stuff in the Bible and you can talk amongst each other. You can talk with other people about what the Bible says. Ultimately, who's supposed to be your teacher? Who's supposed to be your spiritual guide? Isn't it the Holy Spirit? No, not supposed to be teaching one another. It's supposed to be the Holy Spirit. You're not supposed to have a guru preacher that, you know, that he sits up there in the pulpit and he, what he does is connect you with all the other congregations because it's not just little isolated groups. They're sitting down in ranks of fifties and hundreds and thousands. And those ranks are not ranks of authority, but those are ranks of service. That's why Jesus says, He used to be greatest amongst you, is to be servant of all. Right? So there's, there's a rank and a way of ranking you in the kingdom. But see, just saying that word rank, you're thinking authority. Why? Because the only government you've ever imagined or looked at in your mind is 
the governments of power, not the governments of service. You have to think differently. That's what repentance is. Thinking differently. There's ranks based on service. So that minister is going to get together with nine other ministers and he's going to be a symposia, drinking of the Holy Spirit, individually drinking of the Holy Spirit in this drinking group, symposia, drinking of the Spirit. And by doing that, Through his congregation, he has connected 90 other families with your 10. Now you have your insurance program. (laughs) You don't need to buy insurance. You can, but you also don't need to sign up for uh, these uh, welfare programs by the government. You don't need to do that. That's not what it's all about. Anyway, what what I uh, I, I wrote back to the one person. They had in their question. This is the part I didn't get to reading. I stopped. So they they're saying, uh, when the government doesn't provide any other alternative, you have another alternative before you right now. It's called the kingdom of God. And his, but it has to operate with His righteousness. It can't just operate with what you think is right. It has to be what God thinks is right. And that's your struggle to find out what God thinks is right. And some people have a real hard time figuring that out. And and here's what they wrote. There are no charities available that could meet the individual needs for survival and family could not or would not care for them either because there are already government systems in place. And so, in other words, they're evidently thinking about somebody particular that they know. I mean, just by the way they word that, I'm I'm kind of assuming that. So, somebody is disabled and they can't do anything. Well, the reality is there are very few disabled people who can't do anything. I used to work for, uh, with a guy. I didn't work for him. My son worked for him for a while. And he was a rancher out here, and I've talked about him many times, because he's quite he's quite the Christian. He's passed away now. His wife's still here. My wife was just visiting her the other day. She's 90-some years old. I don't know. She's way up there. Uh, we've got a lot of old, tough, tough old ladies out in this country. It seems to breed <laughs> tough old ladies. <laughs> but uh, the, the reality, actually, I, I'll mention, well, I'll, I'll leave that story for later, but so they're talking about somebody who is evidently uh, an invalid and they have to go to the government because their family won't take care of them, which is clear that their family is not a Christian family. Of course, they may think they're a Christian family, but they're not because a Christian family would be taking care of their own family. They would be doing it. But they say, oh, no, we got to go to the government systems. And there's another guy, uh, I'll just call him Don, uh, who... Uh, writes on here and he says there's not a sin taking government benefits because it's just getting back some of the money they've taken from you no you're not getting back the money they've taken from you the money they've taken from you was already spent it it, it went out right away as a matter of fact most of the money you pay into these systems doesn't go to provide benefits it goes to pay the interest on the debt that was created when you created a government that could accumulate gold and silver and accumulate money and uh, make contracts for you 
And that's what you did. You, you did that. You, you rejected God's way. And you followed that. And your parents rejected it. And your grandparents rejected it. That's just history. And I'm not picking on them. It's just, it's just, you gotta look at the facts. That's what's happened. And of course, that was what was prophesied would happen. That you would begin and become entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Because of taxation is theft? No. Because of covetous practices. So anyway, to the point where your mind thinks it's okay to take from the government that is taking from your neighbor and taking now because of debt, it's taking from your children and your neighbor's children and because of the massive amount of debt, it's it's taking from your great-grandchildren. This is basic, simple business math. I mean, this isn't complicated. The government went bankrupt a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I mean, it was out of money. It didn't declare bankruptcy. It just said it was out of money. It was going to close down because it didn't have any more money. So, but they fixed it, right? What'd they do? They raised the debt. They <laughs> said, let's borrow more money against the labor of our children who will have to pay higher rates of income tax in the future because we don't want the government to shut down now. And I understand you don't want the government to shut down. I don't want the government to shut down now. What I want you to do is repent and think a different way and realize you are the government of God. You have to start acting like it and start becoming a doer of the word, which means to sit down in organized groups. You organize them yourselves in these tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. Start casting your bread upon the water of this group and start taking care of one another. Okay, somebody has to take government benefits. Let's start weaning them off of those government benefits. Let's start being there. The old guy I was talking to you about. I had never in my whole life of knowing him, some 40 some odd years, uh, I've known the guy. I'm a lot older than 40, but <laughs> I didn't meet him until I was in my 30s. <laughs> and, uh or maybe, yeah, I was around 27, 30 or something like that. But, uh I never saw him stand up straight. Because he couldn't stand up straight. He had terrible curvature in his spine. He walked hunched over all the time. He could have been on total disability. If he went in and tried to get on disability, they would have put him on disability. The doctors looking at his x-ray said, your back is broken, you cannot walk, and uh, you will be an invalid for the rest of your life. He got up from that conversation and walked out of the doctor's office when the, he, I would see him, he had real strong arms, and he would pull himself up on a tractor and drive it all day long in terrible, terrible pain. <laughs> and he just did it. He chose to do it. He did not go on disability. He he worked the farm. He was county commissioner for a while. He served people. When there was people in need, he went there with uh, money out of his own pocket and he helped them. But people thought he wasn't a Christian. <laughs> people who wouldn't do half of what he did thought they were Christians, but he was not. No, he was a Christian. And when he was finally an invalid uh, because he went to the doctors and they screwed him up even worse. And uh, he could not get up anymore. And uh, 
and he was getting worse and worse in doctor's care and hospitals. We talked the family into bringing him home. And we went to his house with no pay. And we took care of him. Now, government came in and did some stuff, but we had to scold them from time to time because they were doing a poor job. You can do this yourselves, folks. You will do... I mean, look at guys like Ben Shapiro and everything are talking about uh, private enterprise does it better. I mean, uh, we got guys shooting rockets into space and coming back and landing on platforms uh, as a private enterprise. The guy started out poor and uh, not a rich man, became a billionaire, and now he's shooting rockets up into space. And uh, whether you believe that or not, <laughs> it's up to you. But the reality is you can take care of one another better than the government can. And the more you work together with people who are doing this, the better you will get at it. And you will start coming up with solutions not based on big bucks, but on real love. You know, I mean, I was supposed to go in for surgery to have my gallbladder removed. But instead, somebody in the church told me about a gallbladder cleanse years and years ago. I did the gallbladder cleanse and the problem went away. Uh, I had tendonitis in the wrist so bad I couldn't pick up a hammer with my right hand. Uh, my I couldn't pick up my newborn son. Uh, and I always say I can't pick him up now because he's well over six foot. <laughs> but I have not had trouble with that wrist since because of somebody I met in the church showed me a remedy for it. And that was a chronic problem going on for years. And it went away in 20 minutes. So, there are other solutions. But you have to think differently. You have to be the government of God. You have to come together. You have to sit down in the tens and fifties. I know people have been listening to us for years. And they're still not gathering in congregations. And now we just had somebody, uh, actually on several different groups, have been talking about joining congregations and they said well i like so and so but he's still 300 miles away you know if i want to go to town to go shopping which i don't do but a few times a year it's a it's it's a what is it uh, 200 miles of driving <laughs> to go to town and back uh that's four hours and i go to town but in this modern age you can create congregations and be congregations on the phone and you can talk and share on the phone. You you can you can occasionally Israel get together in their big meetings once a year, you know, or twice a year if you count uh, Sukkot, you know, Feast of Tabernacles, and you talk um, uh, Pentecost. Those those are the big physical gatherings. That's twice a year. You don't need to be patting each other on the back and glad handing each other. Yeah, you think you do, but you can go out and glad hand anybody. You can go out and pat anybody on the back. We have, we have congregations. I have a congregation of ministers that I serve and they're all over the country because they're not all in this place. I go out and serve our local community. Uh, my wife takes care of at least two widows in the area, make sure that they have firewood, make sure they, they get the right food, make sure they uh, have visits. They, she gets them together. She, she does that. You know, I go and help people, go into their houses. I, I counsel with people locally. They're not in a congregation. But there I have the fellowship that I have. But the fellowship of the kingdom, those people are spread out. 
Get in a congregation even if somebody is a three-hour drive away. Meet with them on the phone once a week. Share with them what's going on in your life. Start learning more. Study together. You can have a Bible study on the phone. We have a study every Tuesday. Uh, we could have a study every night if I didn't have to chase cows all night. <laughs> Which I, I, don't, I don't know how much I've said that on this program. But the cows did a walkabout. That, normally we have our gates open. But there's a back gate that uh, normally I would keep closed. And it was closed at one time, but somebody opened it and left it. You can't drive through it. You can only walk through it. Because it goes right up a steep cliff into the mountains. Well, the cows went up in the mountains and went over the mountain and I couldn't find them. And I walked for hours and hours trying to figure out where they went and finally found the tracks and followed them up and herded them back in the dark. (laughs) But a 70-year-old guy running around up there on the rocks in the dark without a flashlight. But I got them all back. But anyway, the... uh, but that's 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 easy compared to getting you people to sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. <laughs> we have strayed from the kingdom. We have wandered out into the wilderness. We need to go back to the ways of Christ, which were the ways of Moses. You have to sit down and start taking care of one another. Start checking in on one another. And as the congregation grows, this is the way it goes. Okay, you got, say you had a congregation in Florida and Alabama and Georgia and Tennessee. And there was two people from Tennessee and one people, person from Florida, another person from Alabama, another one. And they're all in the same congregation. They can meet every week on the phone. And they can start learning and start reaching out and start uh, casting their bread in the waters and start helping. We, we paid, one of the reasons that we were able to bring that fellow, that that in, a, ancient individual who was uh, uh, debilitated by his treatment <laughs> in the the medical society, we could bring him home, which is what he wanted to do. He whispered to me one time visiting him in the hospital. He says, "I want to go home." And he, why he whispered whispered it to me instead of anybody else, I don't know. But it was I who made it possible for him to get home by convincing the family that we would bring in people to help take care of them and we did we brought in those people to help take care of them we did all that on our own he was broke which is why suddenly they couldn't do anything for him because they took all his money and it was gone (laughs) so (laughs) he had been fairly well off when we, we first met but by the time the doctors were done he was broke um but he got better Every day he was up. and uh, But that's another long story. But uh, we'll, we'll continue more on what you need to do to answer this woman's questions when we come back. Okay, welcome back. Uh, the lady uh, I was just going through, and I actually made some more answers on that same 
long list of responses to, to this lady. Her name is Sarah's question that I've been reading from in this uh, broadcast. She she goes on to say, according to some of the articles that are posted here on this particular Facebook blog kind of uh, deal, it's a private group, the only other option would be to die rather than break the commandment of love thy neighbor. And she's talking about, you know, taking the benefits of government being a sin. I I didn't know people were actually suggesting that you had to die <laughs> rather than take the benefits of government. That's not what Christ was saying. And this is supposedly a Christian group. Christ was saying, repent, which is thinking a different way. And that thinking has to turn you around so that you're going another way. Because you have to turn what you're saying into action. You can't just be saying, I believe, Jesus. You have to become a doer of the word. Remember the Corbin of the Pharisees was making the word of God to none effect. And the Corbin of the Pharisees was a welfare system where the sacrifices of the people were forced by scribes and tax collectors, Molkai and Gabai tax collectors. They, there were different taxes and different collectors for taking those taxes in. And instead of the way Christ said to do it, sit down in the ten fifties, hundreds and thousands and start sharing amongst yourselves. And he started that sharing by taking the food that was given him to eat and he broke it and he gave it away to others. And he did not eat. <laughs> Which actually is a story of of uh, Alexander the Great. When a runner came to him across the desert, all his men, thousands of men and, and elephants and everything were trying to cross the desert and and they were short of water and they were dying of thirst and a and, and a scout came back with his helmet filled with water and he gave it to Alexander the Great so that Alexander the Great could drink. And he also let him know that there was water ahead. That's how he brought this water back. And he held the water up, supposedly as the story goes, and he pours it out on the ground and he says that he would not drink until everybody drank. Well, I wouldn't quite do that. I would take the water and give it to the the people that needed it the most because that's what you do when you're on the desert and there's not much water is you spread it around where it's needed, which is where we started in this program. Irrigating on the desert is something you have to constantly do, moving the water here, moving the water there, taking it away from here and putting it over there because I am in control of the water. But the water comes to me from the ground up. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what you need to do in the kingdom. I, we can't force people to give us the water. We're not like the other governments. You have to gather together and start sharing amongst each other in the way that Christ shared with you. That's coming in the name of Christ. So, uh, what we said, uh, you know, you have to die to a way of thinking. And be born again in the way of Christ. And the way of thinking is what she said in the the previous line where she said um, that uh, there is no charities available that could meet the individual's needs for survival and the family could not or would not care for them either because there are already government systems in place. Well, 
yeah, because the, the, the family's not Christian. They don't think like Christ thinks. Christ did not. Christ said, if you owe the tax, pay the tax. He didn't say, if you need something, go to the government and ask for benefits. He did not say that. <laughs> John the Baptist didn't say that. They said, your government, how does it work? They knew that Herod had been baptizing people into the kingdom of God. But when you got baptized into Herod's kingdom, you were registered and you had to pay in. And there were uh, Molkai who would come by, scribes who would come by and count the Cummins, the branches of Cummins plants in your window blocks. They would pace off the your fields of wheat because they know, well, there's no, this much wheat here. We're going to get this share because they were going to take a share of everything you produced. That's the system they set up. That's the way Rome had gone. It wasn't that way originally in Rome. It was done by charity originally in Rome, which is why it rose to power. But then it thought it became the policeman of the world, and it started taxing, and it created a social welfare state under Augustus, which is just shortly before the birth of Christ. And now Herod was doing the same thing. And it would lead to inflation and uh, because they would take the silver out of the coins. You've already done this. You've already gone that right. You're back in the bondage of Egypt since 1933. Uh, you've taken the gold and silver out of your coins. Uh, you're, you're suffering under inflation. Things are getting more and more expensive all the time. Uh, right now, gold is going down. Oil is going down. But those things may skyrocket again in price uh, when when the next wave comes. Uh, but eventually it's all doomed for destruction. But I don't want you, you can't seek the kingdom of God because you fear destruction. You you know, like the, the plowman who was plowing his field and somebody said, what would you do if you knew the world was going to end tomorrow? He said, I would continue to plow this field today. <laughs> You know, he can't change the fact the world. He's not, there's a happy plowman. He's, he's happy at what he's doing. What would I do if I knew the world was going to end tomorrow? I would irrigate today. Because <laughs> the grass is thirsty today. You have to gather together today with those that are nearest you, even if they're three hours away, because you need to care about others. Not because they need you to care about them, but because you need to care about others. This is why we had somebody who's having a difficult time. He's behind on his bills and he wanted to uh, have us pay his bills. And we've done this before. We've helped him out before. But he would not join a congregation. He would not sit down with them. He doesn't need any money. He doesn't need to drive there. We got this idea that we have to be in the same room. How close do you have to be to, with somebody to pray with somebody? <laughs> Christ had to separate himself from the apostles when he prayed. You're already separate from each other. You're at an advantage. You don't have to go off and pray. <laughs> You're already separated. This is a wonderful opportunity to gather together with phones and emails and texting and everything, you know, just checking how are you doing.
How you doing today? <laughs> Give him a little wave. But you have to turn that into being a doer too. You actually have to sacrifice upon that altar. You don't have to burn up sheep. Never had to burn up sheep. You have to give of yourself willingly. You're you're under taxation, not because taxation is theft, but because of covetousness. That's what it says in the New Testament. Because of covetousness. And of course, that's why it says in the Old Testament, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. You should you should not reject to be ruled over by God in your heart to be ruled over by uh, Democrats or Republicans in 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 or whatever Whigs or whatever you have in your country. You should not be looking to them for the answer. Yes, that family, and that's one of the that's one of the struggles that we have is trying to get family members involved with taking care of their parents. I remember when sitting down the first day to help take care of this invalid in his home. And his son who was there said, well, okay, uh, time to begin. And I says, I'm here to assist you. Time for you to begin. <laughs> and eventually we, you know, we had to constantly discipline him uh, that we're here to help you take charge of your family. And to be whatever you can do. He's kind of all thumbs and not very good at things. But he got better. But we were willing to work with him. But we're we're not getting paid. So we're not anybody's employee. But the state came to us and wanted to, I guess it was a county official, but it's partially funded by the state, wanted us to sign up so that we could get paid. I think they were paying like $19 an hour. They would pay us to do what we were doing. And no. Because <laughs> of the money you would pay us, you only took from your neighbor and borrowed from the future. You don't even have that. You're broke. You have to borrow against my grandchildren. or It won't be my grandchildren, but uh, the, my neighbor's grandchildren. You have to borrow from them. No, and one of the guys on here, and I'm going to refer to him before we run out of time, you know, they said it's not a sin to take government benefits because we're just taking back what they took from us. What is one of the, I told you the kingdom, seeking the kingdom of God is simple. You have to love one another, but what else do you have to do? You have to gather together and love one another. Why do you gather together in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands? So that you be efficient at doing this. Why do you have ministers of tens and those ministers in groups of ten and they pick a minister and he gets in groups of ten? Because, and I've seen this on the network when we first created the network, which is just email groups based on geography. And you can join that email group based on geography. And then hopefully you get on that email group and then you try to join in a living network, not just an email group where you actually occasionally meet and you actually regularly meet on at least by phone until we find enough people that you can meet on a regular basis. I mean, some sometimes we find people on the next street, not very far away. Uh, but you have to persevere. That's what Christ said. You know, they that are many saved or few, and they, He says strive. But your modern religion says, oh, nothing you have to do, just believe. But Jesus said strive. 
Oh, yeah, but he said that before the crucifixion. But Paul said it too. <laughs> so, and that was after the crucifixion. And James said it. It's not what you say, it's what you do. You know, and he has to keep reminding people of that. Why do I have to keep reminding? It's in the Bible. Read it. <laughs> not do it. So anyway, so you you you're not taking back what you paid in because what you paid in is gone. It was it went to somebody else. You're these these people who think this is okay. They have a socialist spirit. They're just an angry socialist. <laughs> you cannot get into the kingdom of God with a socialist spirit. That the idea it's okay to take from your neighbor. It isn't okay to take from your neighbor. It isn't okay to bite one another. That's why you're devoured. That's why you're in bondage. So what was the other thing? You had to gather together. You had to sacrifice regularly like Christ came to serve. That serving is sacrificing. However you serve. Your time, your energy. So where do you take it from there? Where do you go from there, uh, what's the next step? What what else did he say to do? Forgive. Forgive. They took money from you. Forgive them. If you don't learn to do that, you will not figure this out. You have left out a major conglomerated group of puzzle pieces. <laughs> you have to forgive. You. We are not at war with the state. We are at war with evil. <laughs> and the way you war against evil is you seek righteousness. So you have to forgive the state. <laughs> forgive the government. Turn around. Start gathering together in a network that is based on caring and sharing with one another. The If, if the fellow who... Had got help before with uh, his uh, bills and, and his needs. Had gathered together as Christ commanded. Only place that he uses commanded, the word for commanded, in relationship to people. He commanded demons. He commanded the weather. But well, only one place he commanded his disciples to make the people sit down in tens, fifties, hundreds. And thousands. If he had done that, he could have been on a, a congregation call on a regular basis. That particular congregation doesn't have regular calls. But it should. And the reason it doesn't have regular calls is because that congregation, it, the responsibility of congregating is the congregation's responsibility. It's not the minister's responsibility. It's the congregation's responsibility. So a congregant the other day said, well, why doesn't he set up a call? Why don't you set up the call? It's like what this person said. Well, the government doesn't provide any other way. Well, that's not the government that's supposed to be providing. We're not, we should, we will help you set up calls. But, only once. <laughs> then you got to start doing it. The congregation has to congregate. It has to assemble itself. That is, it's not the job of the minister to gather you up like a herd of cats. 
you have to, you know, why were my sheep lined out on the desert in a line all the way across the desert, shoulder to shoulder? Now, they weren't going down a trail. They were spread out on the desert. Their shoulders were actually mostly touching, except when they went around a big bush or a rock or something. Then they would come back and touch. Like It was like geese, you know, how geese line themselves up. Except they were in kind of a straight line. Why did they do that? It's in their nature to do that. And they happened to be in a place where they were unfamiliar with. And so they wanted that extra security. And so they came together. Well, you're out in the wilderness. You know, when I was bringing the cows down from the mountains yesterday, they were spread out all over the place. They could see each other. They were definitely in the herd formation with, with cows grazing with their heads outward in many different directions because they're watching. They're, they're not as worried about predators as sheep, but they're, they're in a typical herd f- pattern, but it was out in the rocks and the mountains and everything. Well, I had to go and break that pattern and get them to come together. And you do herd cows. They don't come necessarily like sheep. But I had a few that wanted to go off here. They didn't want to come down because it was still light out when I got there. But I had to run back and forth and get you to come and get you to come and get you to come. Eventually, as it was getting darker, they started coming together easier. And eventually, they lined out. Nose to tail, nose to tail, nose to tail, and went down. Of course, it was too dark to get a good picture, but I put one up on Facebook <laughs> when they looked back at me. That's that's the job of the herdsmen. But you, they were coming together, lining themselves out. I wasn't making, I wasn't tying them together. They were lining themselves out. You, as congregants, have to gather together. You don't have to be in the same room, but you have to be in the same spirit. You have to start gathering. That guy could have been gathering on that congregation call every week. He's full of knowledge about health and everything. And he could have shared that knowledge. Everything he says was we wouldn't take as gospel or Bible. But he could have shared that. He could have been said, I am here for you for whatever I can do. For nine other people. And they would have said the same for him. You start doing that. It will start changing the wiring in your brain. And you will start becoming a different kind of person. And now there will be room in you for the Holy Spirit. But if you're going to fill your head with doctrines and I know already and and not want to learn or not want to sit down with others, why did the apostles have to make them sit down? That's the words that they use. Make them sit down in companies upon companies in tens and ranks of fifties and a hundred. Why did they have to make them do that? Because they had forgotten how to do it. But they weren't doing it with a whip and a chair. They were saying, we need to do this. Require them to sit down in this pattern. Once in that pattern, what do you have to do? You have to be doing that. I mean, these people are already following Jesus out into the wilderness. So they're already seeking the spirit that Jesus is talking about. And what is he talking about? If you have two coats and your neighbor has none. Okay, now the people are short of food. Anybody got any extra food? Okay, now in these groups, you can share and know. See, you you go give to the United Way, you have no idea where that food is going. 
You have no way of following it up. I gave this example when there was a fire down in California and we sent aid down there. Other people in a nearby town sent aid down there. They sent aid to the guy from the Forest Service. We sent aid to one of our people here. Actually, two of our people, three of our people went down. And they went down to help out. All the stuff that they went down came at the in the nick of time, fed people, clothed people, helped people directly. Because we went right to people who had that spirit of the kingdom in them already, another minister down there. The stuff that the Forest Service sent down ended up in a warehouse 45 miles away, dumped on the floor, and was never used by anybody in the fires. (laughs) Why? Because we think a different way. You have to start thinking that way. You need that follow-up. You need that connection. You need to make sure that what you're giving is going to the best. I had somebody irrigate for me out on the desert once and uh, tried to line them out and show them. And he's just, he's not much of an irrigator. And this ground was dying and this ground was dying and this was, you know, I've got it all to come back now. But he just... He's not He's not an irrigator. His job must be somewhere else. <laughs> or maybe he'll learn eventually. But uh, I couldn't let the field die out. And he was only in charge of a very small section of the field. You have to be aware. You have to know. You have to walk out there. Trapes through it. You can't just let water out this head gate and that head gate. You gotta go. Is the water getting here? Is the water getting there? Is this ground actually getting wet enough? Is this ground over here getting too wet? And you walk the field and you feel the ground beneath your feet and you know that's what you can do in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. You have somebody, I was telling you when we first started the network, we had a guy joining every group. And I thought, like, what, what, why is he joining all these different groups? And they're, they're spread out in different places. You know, is he, does he live in all these places? Does he travel? Well, we've had guys who travel a lot. And they, they join more than one group. Or they have family over in another area. So they join that group too. But, uh, what he, he does is he goes around and lives off other people. He gets a government check, but it's not enough. He figures, well, I get this little government check. But if I go stay with other people claiming I'm going to help them, I don't have any rent. And they feed me. And what they, what he actually does, because we followed up and found out that he actually keeps people from working. <laughs> he becomes a pain and eventually is barred from this household and not allowed to come back. But he's going to join our network so that he can get his foot in all kinds of other households. Well, it's set up so you can't know who everybody is. It's not a living network. It's email groups. And we see people doing this. And we find out about them because we're networking. Our ministers are meeting every week and sharing information. Some people still don't have this figured out yet, but they're starting to. And the more people we have working on this, the more people we will have being the government of God. Being the government of the people of God, for the people of God, by the people of God. And then you won't have to ask, how come the government doesn't provide us with an alternative? Christ provided you with an alternative. You just have to seek that alternative. 
So those are the answers I have for Sarah. There's one more line here, uh, but I'm not going to get to it. I always wanted to have a daughter named Sarah. I thought that was, I just found out what her name was. I never looked at the name until just a minute ago. But until we gather together, peace on your house and God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.